Welcome back to the room. We're going to uh, look at 1 Peter chapter 5, uh, verses 1-5 through 5 this morning. And so if you have a Bible, let me invite you to turn there. If you don't have a Bible uh, or an app on your phone, there's a paper Bible on the back table and you're welcome to grab one of those. But we're going to walk through verses 1-5 through 5 in our series through 1 Peter. This was supposed to be a series through First and Second Peter uh, that was ambitious. We have creeped slowly, crept slowly through the Scriptures, uh, verse by verse over the past uh, three months, and I, my goal is to finish chapter 5, uh, but if you, uh, you know chapter 5 very well, you know that there's a lot here, uh, so we're going to take the next three weeks and, uh, and finish out the book of First Peter. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1-5. through 5. Let's read that together. Peter writes, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for every word that is breathed out by Your Spirit, that we are able to come to the living Word that is able to change us and to sanctify us and to make us more like Christ. Would You take Your Word this morning and apply it to those who hear? Would You allow this to be life to them? Would you pinpoint areas of their life that needs attention? Areas where we can grow in love and obedience to you. That we can endure difficulties and trials and sufferings. Whatever it is that you would like to say to us this morning, our ears are open and we ask that your Holy Spirit would be our guide and our teacher. Use this message for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, over the last five years, uh, I've made a number of phone calls to former pastors, and uh, I've been an associate pastor and an evangelist for the last 25 years, and it's only been in the last few years that the Lord has allowed me to be a a lead pastor. And the only difference between that is the difference between being a parent and a babysitter. Uh, Not a big difference, really. I'm just kidding, it was an enormous difference, and so uh, I had to make a lot of phone calls uh, over the last few years. Anytime I would run up against a difficult situation, I would call a pastor and say, listen, I just need to apologize, Uh, I had no idea what you were dealing with, I had no idea the struggles that you had, or uh, just maybe a dozen times have had to apologize for things that I've done, or things that uh, I've been a part of that helped shed some light on what it means to follow Peter's main exhortation here, which is to shepherd the flock, to be a pastor. It's the Greek word poiemo, which is just that idea always translated as pastor or shepherd. It's the same idea 
um, what is we are called to do. That is to shepherd a group of people that God has called to shepherd the flock. And so in all these apologies, my, probably my most sincere apology uh, came most recently to my former college roommate and my former pastor, Aaron. And uh, I had, at some point, maybe in 2010, um, come to a point where we had worked together for a while and there were, there were just some differences uh, starting to come to the surface. Not bad, not theological, not doctrinal, um, just things that two guys who've known each other for 25 years and who've worked together for a few years, those kind of differences that would come up. And so in 2010, I opened a private Word document and stored it in a private place, and it was just simply titled, Things I Would Do Different If I Was the Pastor. Uh, and just saying it out loud makes me feel a little bit ashamed. It's like uh, a child saying things I would do different if I was the mom or things I would do different if I was the CEO. It's just it's sort of an arrogant thing to say uh, in a critical way what I would do if I was in his position because he's obviously not doing the things that I think he should do or uh, that I would do differently. I don't know. Maybe you have a file like that for me. Uh, you may. And, um, May God bless that writing, and may He someday uh, allow you to become a pastor of a church someday, and I'll just expect a phone call within the next 10 to 15 years uh, with a sincere apology. Uh, I can say that it wasn't really a ranting document. I still have a copy of it. It it started that way, uh, and then through several edits, it became, uh, okay, This is different. This is challenging. There are other factors involved. Sometimes we see one part of something, and it's so clear to us, and we can sort of uh, misunderstand the bigger picture. And when it comes to shepherding a church, when it comes to being an elder of a church, there are a lot of factors involved. And so Peter is writing to believers who are suffering severely, really struggling, going through tremendous trials. The whole book of 1 Peter is about that. And in light of the previous passage, I mean, chapter 5, verse 1 starts with the word so, and so he's connecting that with the previous paragraph or two, which he had said that God is this faithful Creator, and in the midst of suffering, you have to entrust your soul to the faithful Creator. But even that, as an instruction to you, the Christ follower isn't sufficient, and so Peter steps in and says, in light of their suffering and in light of the culture and the conditions that they're going through, this requires an elder, this requires a shepherd, this requires someone who loves the people enough to help them through periods of suffering and trial. And so Peter makes a strong plea to the elders in those churches in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Bithynia, all those places that he mentioned in in chapter 1, verse 1, to shepherd the flock. To shepherd the flock that God has brought among them. And he says to shepherd them, uh, the flock that is among you. Um, He gives the scope of who they're supposed to shepherd. It's those that God has called together, those who have been drawn together, those who have covenanted together to walk together. It is the flock that is among you, not the flock that's not among you. That would be an impossible task if there were not a boundary, but Peter gives them a boundary. The flock that God has called you to, you have to shepherd them. 
And you have to do so exercising oversight. That is, make sure that they're all taken care of. Make sure that all the bases are covered. Make sure that in every way, every person is shepherded and covered and taken care of in all those ways. To make sure that you shepherd them, not because you have to, but with a willingness. With a joyful willingness. With a a willingness that goes beyond compensation. Not because somebody is standing over you, making you do it. You know, Jesus referred in John chapter 10 to the hireling shepherd. And he said that when wolves come, the hireling shepherd runs away because it's not his flock. But Jesus described himself as the good shepherd, the one who doesn't run away when there's danger, when there's wolves around. Uh, So he's saying, don't exercise oversight or shepherding under compulsion as though you were a hireling, but do so willingly. Not because you have an opportunity to provide for yourself, that is not for shameful gain, but eagerly, with an eagerness to you. Verse 3 says, not domineering, not in a dominant way. Jesus told the disciples in the upper room that those who uh, in the world who exercise leadership do so in a dominating kind of way. It's those in the world who, when they think of authority, they think of it with a strong fist and a strong sort of uh, efforts and um, energies and maybe different uh, advances that they're going to do in their business world or in their political arena, that those kind of leaders use a dominance and authority. But you're to do so differently in a gentle way, in a shepherding way, in a loving way, in a servant kind of way. Jesus said whoever wants to be the greatest among you has to be the, the least and the servant of all. That's the requirement for elder type leadership is that you would be a loving servant and it's one of the things that we look for anytime we're looking for qualified men to be elders is do they have a a heart of a servant are they showing up early and staying late and doing all the things that undergird the ministries of the church and doing so not because they get a pat on the back or a promotion or an opportunity, but, but just because they're underservants of the great shepherd. So Peter is giving all these qualifications. And in verse 4 he says, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive an unfading crown of glory. The chief shepherd being Jesus Christ. You see, every shepherd, every elder is not an authority above, but he is first uh, an authority under. Do you remember when Jesus ran into the Roman centurion and he said, uh, Jesus, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. Um, As a matter of fact, I feel unworthy to even have you around. And uh, so if you'll just say the word from a distance, my servant will be healed. You don't even have to come to my house. I'm not worthy to have you in my house. Um, But I'm a man under authority. Now, it's interesting that this guy would point out authority and would use it in such a humble way. He's a Roman centurion in charge of a group of troops, a hundred troops. And so he's not just a man under authority, but he's actually a guy in authority. But he describes his authority as being under authority. This is a great sense of humility. Any leadership that is given to you is given to you with the assumption that you are already submissive to leadership. You don't ascend into authority to be a dominating authority figure over people. You do so in humility, understanding that there's already authority over you. And if a person doesn't receive authority above them, they're never going to be a good leader and allowed to have authority 
people under them. That's just a biblical principle. So Peter is giving all these instructions. And it's almost as if, if you were to back up to verse 2, it's almost as if he were to say, uh, predict what they might say. Maybe they're reading this letter and maybe they don't know Peter. And so he wants to give them some credentials. And he says, uh, just in case they say, now who's this Peter guy who's trying to tell us what to do? And so he tells them in verse 1, I'm a fellow elder, first of all. I, I, I do this as well. I, I have a flock that God has called me to. And, and Peter, uh, in tradition, was said to have pastored a church in Rome. And so maybe Peter had a small group of believers in Rome that he was shepherding. And so he's telling them, first of all, I'm qualified to, to ask you to do this, to encourage you, to urge you, to command you, really, to do this as a fellow elder. Because I know what you're going through and I know what it's like. But then he also secondly says, I also witnessed the sufferings of Christ. I saw it firsthand. Well, that takes us back to the upper room. Peter saying, don't wash my feet, Jesus. Remember, Jesus got up and he, he took off his outer robe and he put on a towel around his waist like a servant. And, and all 12 of the disciples in the room would have seen instantly what was taking place as Jesus took off his outer robe and put on a servant's towel. You remember as Jesus began to wash their feet, Peter jumps up and he says, hey, hey, don't do this. You're not going to wash my feet at all. And Peter, uh, Jesus said, well, if I, if I don't wash your feet, you'll have no part of me. And so what does Peter say in reply? Well, well don't just wash my feet, then wash my head and my, wash everything, right? If I, if I want to be a part of you, I want you to fully wash me. And, and so Jesus takes on this attitude of a servant and Peter is having these exchanges with him. And then Jesus says, now come out to the garden with me. And Peter, James, and John come a little further. And so they gather in this prayer circle. The other night, a few friends and I went to a restaurant and had some dessert. And as we were talking with the server, uh, it was apparent that God was sort of doing something in her life. And so once we got out to the parking lot, we just circled up and the four of us uh, stood around and we prayed for this woman, Cynthia. Jesus is inviting James and Peter and John into this smaller prayer circle. And then they sit and Jesus goes a little bit further as they cover Him in prayer while their eyelids are drooping and falling and, and Jesus is suffering already, saying, Lord, take, these, take this cup away from Me as He's sweating these drops of blood. Peter may have, through uh, droopy eyelids as he's trying to stay awake, may have been listening to Jesus' agonizing prayer. And then, you know, the whole scene with the troops in the garden and Peter slices an ear off. It's Malchus, Mark's, uh, one of the, uh, the centurion, one of the servants of the high priest, one of the soldiers, and Jesus picks up his ear and places it back on his head and says, this isn't how this is going to work, Peter. And then Peter follows him into the courtyard, and, and Peter is witnessing the suffering and the trial of Jesus and the beating of Jesus and, uh, and all these things that are taking place. And Peter watches him on the cross. Peter is saying, listen, I'm exhorting you elders, not just because I'm a fellow elder, but because I know you're suffering and I know I'm suffering, and I know that believers all over the empire are suffering. But listen, I, I watched Jesus suffer as well. And it wasn't just His suffering that I saw, but I was a partaker of His glory. That's the third reason why you should listen to me, Peter, because I'm, I'm a partaker. I, I saw part of His glory that will be revealed later. Now, Peter could be talking about a couple of things. 
I was a partaker of His glory, maybe meaning that I was one of the first at the tomb that saw it empty, and Jesus' glory, and, and He came and, uh, into one of the upper rooms, and we saw His glory as He was this resurrected body, and maybe I saw His glory that we met Him on the mountain in Galilee when He, when he appeared before 500 believers. Maybe he's, I, I saw His glory and that He ascended. But I think it might have been that Jesus showed Peter a part of His glory where? On that mountain of transfiguration, remember? Remember when Peter, James, and John were invited up on top of the mountain and Jesus was transfigured before him? His clothes became what? White and blazing in light. And Peter, James, and John just fell as though they were dead. And they looked up and through sort of squinted eyes, they were viewing the glory. Like, I'm sort of squinting in these lights, but, but Jesus' light was blazing, uh, and, and these disciples were looking, and there was Moses, and there was Elijah, and there was Jesus, and they were talking together, and this booming voice, this is my Son whom I love. And in all those ways, this was God affirming the glory of Jesus. And Peter may be saying here, I saw a vision of future glory. And so if you're not sure if you should listen to me, here are just a few reasons. I'm an elder with you. I saw Jesus' sufferings. And I also saw the future glory to come of this chief shepherd who is coming among us. This one who is coming. And so in light of all that, let me encourage you to shepherd the flock. Well, would you listen to a guy who said that? Yeah, I think my ears would perk up. I think I would, I would take a back seat and say, Peter, tell me. Peter, encourage me. Peter, listen. Uh, what do you have to say? What, what can we do in the midst of this great suffering? And so Peter's instructions fall on those ears that have been presented in that way. And he says, shepherd the flock of God. It's not your flock. These aren't your people. This isn't a stage for your glory. This isn't you building your ministry so that you can become uh, a, a known person. This is, these are God's people. And you have to shepherd them. This metaphor of shepherding, this, this image of shepherding, it's lost on us. Just raise your hand if you're a literal shepherd. Anybody? Are there any shepherds in the room? None of us, right? What do we know about sheep? All we know are um, in books, and you know, they kind of appear clean. Listen, sh- sheep are disgusting creatures. They are nasty animals. They, they're... They produce a chemical called lanolin, and it's this greasy, uh, sticky material that just comes out of their skin and their fur, and it's like glue, and everything sticks to them. Uh, and so they're always, uh, shepherds are always grooming and cleaning. They're, they're sort of dumb animals. Uh, they, they will follow anything. As a matter of fact, when sheep are led to a slaughter, um, they have, shepherds have what's called a Judas sheep. And this Judas sheep is the one that leads them down the chute into a gate to the slaughterhouse. And as that Judas sheep is pulled away into another gate, the flock goes into the slaughter room uh, and where they're destroyed. And that Judas sheep is led back around to gather another group of followers. Sheep will follow almost anything. They don't have uh, within them a sense of instinct. That is, if a sheep gets lost... It doesn't have the instinctual, visual, spatial ability to say, uh, I made a left at that tree and there was a rock. And, and They don't have that kind of ability to find their way back. They require a leader. 
I don't know that we should feel insulted that God calls us all sheep, right? Um, but in a way, He does. He calls us sheep because we, uh, like sheep, Isaiah writes, we've gone astray. How many of you know what it feels like to wander? Right? To wander away from the shepherd. To wander away from the sheep. To wander away from the church. To wander. And so the job of the shepherd is hard. In my night or however you say that word, um, being a naive underpastor, writing that document, it occurred to me so many years ago, from the outside looking in, how hard could this be? You study the Bible as a pastor. You teach right doctrine as a pastor. Not too hard. You go to, I've been to eight years of Bible school and seminary. Not too hard. I've participated in hundreds of Bible studies. So my job is to study the Bible and to teach right doctrine in a way that people understand and that they receive and that they immediately obey and put into practice. Couldn't be too hard. Uh, You talk about God's love for people in Jesus Christ. Not such a hard deal as a pastor to tell people how much God loves them through Jesus Christ. You get to pray with people in some of the most significant times of their life. As a pastor, at um, the birth of children, at the end of their lives, you get to shepherd them through some of the crises that come apart in their lives and things, the trials that they experience. Not such a difficult job. You try to put people into small groups with faithful leaders, not rogue leaders, not ambitious leaders, not leaders who are doctrinally unsound, but you try to put them in groups with good people so that they can have some accountability and some relationships that encourage them and strengthen them to grow toward Christ-likeness. Not too hard. You go after the strays, the ones who are wandering away by warning them and rebuking them and correcting them and training and disciplining and exhorting and loving them. Not so hard, is it? You add to that job description the fact that we have an enemy who he's just about to say is like a roaring lion who's seeking someone to devour, who's always trying to pick off the people in this room, who's always trying to separate and divide and fight against and attack uh, not just your families and my family, but, but to attack the group as a whole. And so you add to all that a sense of arrogance that I could do this, and now you understand why just a few years ago, I've called every pastor I know to tell them just how sorry I am for assuming that I would do better. When the truth is, without the chief shepherd and without the one shepherding me, I would never be able to shepherd anybody. You would never be able to shepherd your families. You would never be able to shepherd your own soul. Without the Holy Spirit, without the Father, without Jesus Christ interceding for us, without the saints who've gone before us, without all those helps, without the Scriptures, without all these things that God has brought together to ensure that we walk together in a meaningful way, we would all be wandering and lost. And so with all that in mind, He gives instructions for us, the sheep. In verse 4, He says, When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, that is, you who are under the elders, which includes everybody within hearing voice of that small church, you, you who are under the authority of the pastor, be under the authority of the elders. Be subject 
Humble yourself. Submit to the pastors. Clothe yourself with humility toward one another. For God is frustrated with the proud. No? For God is unhappy with those who are proud. For God is disappointed. No, all those words are not strong enough. He says God opposes the proud. God opposes a guy who's going to write a private document that says what I would do better if I was in your... There was opposition against that sort of pridefulness in my own life. But He gives grace to the humble. Two commands for those of us who are sheep under the great shepherd. Clothe yourself with humility toward one another and be subject to the elders. Be subject to the elders. Understand that there's a difficult job of being a shepherd. In all these ways, we have a responsibility. Not to make the shepherd's job more difficult. In all these ways, we have a responsibility to do the basic things that we know would contribute to a healthy, thriving fellowship of believers. Real basic things. Being a part of each other's lives in small groups and accountability. Not forsaking the gathering of believers. Finding joy in serving each other. I always have this image of the Hogans who at 8 o'clock every Sunday morning burst through those doors with joy to set up these volleyball poles and listening to little Ruth push the cart and set up all the coffee stuff, stuff on her own. Just watching them with joy serving you. Watching Elijah and Isaiah uh, set up all the chairs. Watching Ryan come early and string out cable so that you can hear my voice magnified. Watching Rick push all the contents and JC pushing all the contents back into the trailer while everybody else is fellowshipping and getting... They're serving you with humility. Watching uh, Ryan and Jeremy and Julie and Ariel and Allison and JC and Nicole and all those Rick who contribute to rehearsing and practicing songs and worshiping, rehearsing for worship, and doing all the things that make this hour as, as unprofessional and as un... We're just a bunch of volunteers kind of throwing it all together, but they do it. Listen, it's not polished. It's not, we don't have fog machines and laser lights and, and paid music, but it, but it comes together in a way that I think makes God smile because He sees the humility with which they serve you. Seeing the, the greeters... And the children's workers who are always probably checking their clock saying, is he done yet? You know, in all those ways that you serve in this small body of believers, I just want you to know it's not unnoticed. Those are the basic things that we do. For those who give to the offering plate, to those who support the ministry of the church, to those who serve humbly in this way, you are fulfilling this passage. Clothe yourself with humility toward one another. And in all those ways, I see God's smile on this small church. And I want you to know that you make shepherding easy when you do that. It becomes a difficult job when there's strays, when people wander, when people uh, don't show up for weeks, or when they're they're involved in other things that uh, maybe don't reflect well on their walk with the Lord. In all those ways, we need each other. We need to shepherd. And this is Peter's urging to shepherd and to be good sheep as best as we can. 
But I'm so grateful for the chief shepherd, for the great shepherd as Hebrews calls him. Listen in closing to Psalm 95, 6-11. As it points us toward the good shepherd. It says, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our God, our Maker. For He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. And so today, if you hear His voice, don't harden your hearts. Don't be stubborn as you were at Meribah, as on the day of Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen me work among them. For 40 years I loathed that generation and said they are a people who go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. Therefore I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest. Psalm 95, 6-11, where God says, invites us to come in and to worship Him as His Creator, as His Lord, to sing to Him. See, we don't sing because we like to sing. We sing because it gives Him joy and pleasure. And it's a sacrifice, it's an obedience thing that we come together and we worship Him. We read Scripture, we pray, we listen to the Word together. We do all these things that our hearts may not be hardened. So I urge you today, as God speaks to you, not to be stubborn, wandering sheep that go astray, but to hear the voice of the Good Shepherd that Jesus describes in John 10. I am the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd lays down His life for the sheep. The sheep know His voice and they respond to Him. So in all these ways that Jesus describes Himself as the Good Shepherd, let us respond to His voice. Father, we thank You that You have sent us Jesus Christ, who in John 10.14 says, He says, I am the Good Shepherd. I know those who are Mine and they know Me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep, in that way you demonstrate that you are the great shepherd. So Jesus, we look forward to the day when we hear your voice as the great shepherd. And when we hear your voice, let us respond to you in submission and in humility. Until that day, would you help us to be sheep that don't stray, sheep that respond to the shepherd, Sheep that serve and love and humility, would you draw near to us and let it be so? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.